McShane Bible Study, days 361 and 362. And we're getting late in the day. <laughs> We've already had a lot of conversations. But uh, we're, we're starting in 2 Chronicles 32. Sennacherib from Assyria invades Judah. Hezekiah is king. And Hezekiah says to the people, verses uh, 7 and 8, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria and all the horde that is with him. For there are more with us than with him. He's, he's quoting, uh, it's Elisha there, right? Yeah. Um, with him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people took confidence from the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. So Hezekiah is strong in the Lord, even though an army that's more powerful than them has come against them. He says, the Lord will protect us, right? And the Lord does. The Lord wipes out their army. The, the king has to go back, and he ends up being killed by his own sons, right? So the Lord delivers them. But then Hezekiah gets prideful in his old age. So like he's dying, he, he prays. Uh, Isaiah, that's in Isaiah, right? Isaiah comes and uh, says, the Lord's going to give you more life, and he's healed. And, but then he turns prideful, right? Uh, verse 25 says, But Hezekiah did not make return according to the benefit done to him, for his heart was proud. Therefore wrath came upon him in Judah and Jerusalem. However, the next verse, But Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord did not come upon them in the days of Hezekiah. So he at least realized, you know, he had, he had turned badly, repented to God, and, and God said, Okay, well, this, this wrath is going to come, but not during your reign. Verse 31 said, we see a lot in these two chapters, the kings being for God or being against God and then repenting and, and we see the, the various changes in the Lord's dealing with them based upon their hearts, right? Mm -hmm. 31, and so in the matter of the envoys of the princes of Babylon who had been sent to him to inquire about the sign that had been done in the land, God left him to himself in order to test him and to know all that was in his heart. So it's important for us to remember as we continue on with the Lord throughout our whole life, God puts situations in our lives to test us, for us to prove that we still hold him as supreme above whatever we're experiencing, thinking, encountering, etc. Right? And we, we see him doing that here with Hezekiah. And then we go to 33, and his son Manasseh reigns, and he reigns 55 years, and he's a horrible king. He goes completely against the good Hezekiah had done. He starts building Baals and Asherah all over the high places, all around. And the Lord says, enough, right? Verse 10 says, the Lord spoke to Manasseh and to his people, but they paid no attention. So he sent prophets to say, hey, you're going the wrong way. And he ignored them. He says, you know, I want nothing to do with you. I want to go my way. 11, therefore the Lord brought upon them the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria who captured Manasseh with hooks and bound him with chains of bronze and brought him to Babylon. Um, so he, he's, now why are they bring him to Babylon? I didn't catch that when I was reading it the first time. That's odd, huh? They would, wouldn't they bring him to Assyria? 12, and when he was in distress, he entreated the favor of the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. 
He prayed to him, and God was moved by his entreaty and heard his plea and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. So Manasseh is an interesting character. For one, we just talked about the fact that Manasseh is just, I mean, he was a vile king. He was a horrible, horrible king. Um, and, and that's the part that Kings focuses on. Chronicles, though, talks more about his repentance and the fact that he ended his reign as a good king. And he repented, and so the Lord brought him back to Jerusalem, and he started removing all these uh, all these foreign gods that he had set up in the first place, right? Um, and, uh, and he's unusual in that the more common story is a, God, a king is fervent for God early in his life and then turns away later in life. Manasseh's, I think, maybe the only exception to that, right? Manasseh's fervently anti-Christ, uh, you know, anti-God for most of his life, the beginning of his life, and then repents and comes back to the Lord at the end of his life and ends a good king. But 17 is the important thing. We just talked about this, right? We were having another private conversation, and we talked about, you know, there's certain consequences to things. And God God gives us forgiveness, but that doesn't mean all the consequences of our decisions go away, right? And so in 17, it says, Nevertheless, the people still sacrificed at the high places, but only to the Lord their God. So he had set up these high places, and then he gets rid of the balls and Asherahs and everything, but people had a practice of going to these high places. The scripture says what God had said through Moses is they were only to come to Jerusalem. But once he had set up the practice of going to the high places. Well, Jerusalem didn't exist when Moses was alive. Well, right, and the way it's described in the law of Moses is the place that I establish for my presence. I'm not quoting exactly. But he says, the place that I established, where the Ark of the Covenant is, uh, where the Tent of Meeting, which would later become the Tabernacle, where that is, that is where you come and pray. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, not that he, he's saying don't pray every time, but he's basically saying don't, don't do all the high places. That's why the high places are mentioned over and over again. And so here, Manasseh, uh, Hezekiah had done away with that. But Manasseh reestablished that practice. And then the people liked that practice. So even, you see the mixture that's in? So now instead of um, going to the high place, and that's why I try to make a big deal to you guys. We're recording this before Christmas. I think it'll get posted after Christmas. I try to always make a big deal every year to you guys that we're not, this isn't a religious holiday. This is a family holiday. It's a secular holiday. It's, it's a tradition. We have family coming in for Christmas. Um, we can read stories about Jesus in a manger, but Jesus was not born in December. This, July. this was something most probably set up to make pagans be... We just had winter solstice a couple of days ago. Um, there, it, it's a, there, there's a history of mixture there, right? It's the shortest day of the year. What's bad about that? Nothing. It's just a lot of pagan religions uh, worship that event, and um, so they the 
the once the Roman Empire got a hold of the church, they they started merging things in. So some some people who are fervent for the Lord absolutely do not in any way celebrate Christmas. And if the Lord ever makes that clear to me, then we will not do that also. But I felt like, hey, this is a time to spend with family. We, we, we you know, we have lights and a tree. Um, Does that mean if that happens, we can get presents on Thanksgiving? <laughs> I don't know. But... But anyways, I, I try to make it clear, look, this is not, is, is Christmas Day, the 25th of December, a good day to celebrate the Lord? Also, there's that interesting thing that, that may, might, there's, there's some evidence that might have been the day that the wise men showed up a few months after he was born, um, which is interesting if that's, that evidence is accurate. But anyways, um, Look, I, 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 for me, I felt like this is the way that we will go, knowing that look, God established important holidays, and if we're gonna, if we're gonna set aside days to honor Him as special days in the Lord, it's gonna be the days God established, not the days man established, mm-hmm. right? Um, however, I up till now. Have not felt a problem with us doing this, but just hey, this is family time. This is secular, mm-hmm. right? But you you can look back in history and you can see how these things got merged. Well, here's a, a under Manasseh where the things got merged, and they said, "Oh, we're not doing the balls and the ashes anymore." Okay, but we'll still do the high places. Mm-hmm. You see that? You see the connection I'm drawing there? All right, last three verses, twenty three. And he did not, oh, this is about uh, Ammon, Manasseh's son. He's 22 when he starts to reign. He only reigns two years, 23. And he did not humble himself before the Lord as Manasseh, his father, had humbled himself. But this uh, Ammon incurred guilt more and more. And his servants conspired against him. So he, he, he lived for himself. He lived, you know, wanted to do his own thing. And he was guilty in the eyes of the Lord. And his servants conspired against him and put him to death in his own house. Right? And then the people, you see this the evil spreading throughout the people of God. So his own people put him to death, and then, the pe- and then the other people put them to death, right? But the people of the land struck down all those who had conspired against King Ammon, and the people of the land made Josiah his son king in his place. So you just see this animosity growing. So like you can see out in the world right now. I just saw, I was in the gym, and the TV was on, I, I just saw the blurb written on it um but it, it's they're, they're trying to blame um apparently people are getting a lot more fights on airplanes and they don't know they don't have spiritual eyes and ears right so they don't know what to blame us so they're blaming it on alcohol that's what i read i, I wasn't even i couldn't even hear it that's just i looked up and that's what the screen said um, they're trying to figure out what to blame this on. Well, it's the spiritual realities going on in the world right now. Why blame? Well, it's going on everywhere. But plane is where you put a bunch of people locked in a room together for a few hours. And so it's... It, and, and if people... That's potentially dangerous. So it's noteworthy, right? There's there's governmental agencies in charge of these things, right? It's noteworthy. They can't have fights on planes. That's dangerous, right? 
Um, but it's happening. And so they don't know how to explain it. So they're saying, well, it's because of the alcohol. Um, well, I have no doubt people causing those problems might, might have alcohol involved, but it's not alcohol. It's, it's the spiritual realities let loose in the world right now. And so we see that happening in this time. God, God is about to bring down. Now it's going to be, we're going to tomorrow read about Josiah, right? So again, he's going to give them, give them a, a, a time of greater grace and peace before the end comes. But the end is coming. You can see it in the way that people are acting, right? Mm-hmm. Next, we look at Revelation 18 and 19. And so 18 starts out, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, right? And we, we talked yesterday about this, this uh, Babylon, this prostitute being uh, a mixture, a, 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 uh, a false church that, that claims to represent God but doesn't mixed in with sort of reigning Western society over the world, right? Um, verse 4 says, Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. So we just talk about that, that mixture and, and, um, and the consequences for those things. We see God saying, Come out. We just read recently how the, which king was it that called to the people? Was it Hezekiah or someone before him? And people came from Israel. Like they came out and they said, yeah, we're going to worship the true God, right? Um, So it's the same picture of God saying, come out of her, my people, so you don't share in the plagues that she's going to have to have. Verse 7 says, as she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning, since in her heart, she says, I sit as a queen. I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. We just read about Athalia recently, right? The queen who basically set herself up like that, right? And she's fully judged. And when, then we see the, the young son come out and, and come forth as a good king, right? Um, okay. And so we see the merchants. I'm, I'm not going to read all this. There, there, there's all kinds of judgment on Babylon. We see the merchants are devastated. Basically, we see like tremendous recession, depression, right? There's, there's not all this... Um, there's not as much economic activity and, and people are devastated and they want nothing to do with her because of the, the terrible judgment. 14 says, the fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you and all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. So our, your worldly passions, the things you find joy in in the world, they've been done away with and now you realize your life is empty. Waking people up to realize, hey, I need to seek the Lord. That's where true life is. That's where true joy is. Right? Um, and so, yeah, we, we just, you know, we, we see just destruction on, on this. We see rejoicing. It says, rejoice over you, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. And 19 keeps going with this. Um, <clears throat> after this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying, Hallelujah, salvation, glory, and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. Um, I, I, I went in more detail, I think, last time we went through Revelation, probably both the last times I went through it. Um, so I'm just kind of skipping to the points we didn't necessarily talk about last time. 7 says, Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. 
For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. This is really important. A lot of Christians are going around the world thinking everything's just going to be going along, and one day they'll be swept up, and, and it'll all be over with. That's not the picture the Scripture gives us. I know that it was a theory that was developed about 150 years ago. No Christian before then ever thought that. And somehow it's become a popular the, uh, theology, but it's, it's, you have to ignore a whole lot of scripture to think that's true. But what does this tell us? We have now a marriage. We have Babylon, the great harlot, thrown down and, and judged. But now we have a marriage with the lamb and his bride. And what has the bride done? She has made herself ready. So the bride has made herself ready for Christ before the wedding, right? Eight, it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. So it was granted by God. The people of God were not capable of fully making themselves pure and clean. That had to be given by God. But they had to choose to make themselves, right? They had to present themselves to the Lord and say, make me clean, make me pure, right? Mm -hmm. For the white linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Um, and then it goes on, and the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. So we, we have people streaming to the Lord of the unification of God with his people, right? Um, and then we see, and then what happens after that? Then we see a white horse, right? The one riding on it is dipped in, with a robe dipped in blood, which he is called is the word of God, right? So now we see a great last battle happening, right? You see how this is going? 14, and the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses, so now we see an army of God for this. But we were just on our World War Four last night, right? <laughs> we we see this now, this battle. I don't know. I you know, it, is this a literal? I I sort of doubt it's a literal battle with tanks and stuff like that. I, that, that seems unlikely to me. But but that's not to say there won't be real wars. Uh, 15, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. So we now have a very clear distinction between a kingdom of God on earth, people that are completely unified with God. And we see the, the, the world that is outside of that being fully judged in, in, in kind of a, a massive battle. Um, 19 says, and I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. All right, we'll pick that up tomorrow. Next, we look at Zechariah 14, the last chapter. And it, in verse two, it says, for I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle and the city shall be taken and the houses plundered and the women raped. Half of the city shall go out into exile, but the rest of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. So we're seeing a very similar kind of scene to what we just read in Revelation, right? 
um, we see just judgment on the way. We see a, a, a separation, right? A separation within his people. Um, that half the city shall go out to exile, but half will not be cut off, right? A separation between the vile and the pure. On that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley, so that one half of the mount shall move northward and the other half southward. So, um, Jesus went up to heaven. The last time he was seen by his disciples was on Mount of Olives, right? And and the angel said, why are you looking up in the sky? You're not going to see him here until, like, I can't quote it, but until you all, <laughs> how does it say? I don't remember. But, some, but, but there, there's a picture here of like, it, it's not, he's not coming back here to stand until the end. Well, here's a picture of him standing there at the end, right? But we also see tons of scripture of many things happening that have to happen before that. That's going to be playing out in our lifetimes, right? I mean, will we still be alive when he comes back and he's literally standing on the mountain? I don't know. I'm skeptical myself. But who knows what can happen in a few decades. But uh, but we see here, he's saying very similar things to what Jesus said in Matthew 24, right? And you shall flee to the valleys of my mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach to Azul, and you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. Um, there's a great shaking. There's a great judgment, right? But at the same time, six, on that day, there shall be no light, cold or frost. And there shall be a unique day, which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night. But at evening time, there shall be light. We're about to read a similar uh, description in Revelation. We actually won't get to it until next week. But uh, the listener, <laughs> it should probably be much sooner. Um, but... So we have kind of a, a new reality where all the rules of this world are broken. The, the, the fallen world rules under Satan no longer apply in this kingdom. You see that? Mm-hmm. Hey, on that day, living waters shall flow out from Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea and half of them to the western sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter. Jesus said, if if you follow me, springs of living water will flow out of you, right? We see that same picture here. He's quoting Zechariah, right? Nine, and the Lord will be king over all the... And I'm not saying that won't happen physically in the world. That mountain... I, I tend to think a lot of these things, the more important meaning is the spiritual meaning. But a lot of times these things actually happen in the natural, but they're they're just signs of bigger things happening in the, in the uh, spiritual around the world, right? So that mountain very well, probably will, I'd say, will be cut in two and waters will be flowing east and west and, and all that. Um, but that's that's just an earthly thing. Is, is that what's truly important or the spiritual implication of these things in his people? Uh, let's see. I read that one. It, it shall continue in summer as in winter. So we've, we've got perfect weather. We've got a people living in joy and peace, prosperity, right? Nine. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. So we have a unified people. 
throughout the world, fulfilling what Jesus talked about at his last supper, right? 13, and on that day, a great panic from the Lord shall fall on them so that each will seize the hand of another and the hand of the one will be raised against the hand of the other. We were just talking about this, right? In uh, Chronicles, um, we see people agitated against each other. 14, even Judah will fight at Jerusalem and the wealth of all the surrounding nations shall be collected, gold, silver, garments in great abundance. So we see God providing the needs of his people. Uh, many, you know, there's multiple prophets talk about this, the, the transfer of the wealth of nations. 16, then everyone who survives of all the nations that have come against Jerusalem shall go up year after year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of booths. So this end times people are going to be keeping the feast of booths. Why is that? Well, for one, God established it. It's one of the seven major holidays. The first three were fulfilled by Jesus. The next one was fulfilled by the Holy Spirit. The last three are yet to be fulfilled. They're probably pretty important, right? And here it says in the end times, everyone will worship him for the Feast of Booths, right? The Feast of Tabernacles, 17. And if any of the families of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, there will be no rain on them. If you have no rain, you have no food, right? No food, no water. And if the family of Egypt does not go up and present themselves, then on them there shall be no rain. There shall be the plague, right? For those that don't keep the Feast of Booths. So, maybe it's important, right? <laughs> That's what we talked about, what's truly important. And now, you know, Paul makes it very clear twice in, in Scripture that whether or not you keep certain days as holy or not is up to you, or is every day holy, that's up to you. I firmly believe that. We're, we're far more in the camp of every day is holy than, than certain days. But we do we seek the Lord on those holidays every year because he established them and he will fulfill them? Absolutely. And I grow in the Lord every single time in those times. Uh, let's see, verses 20 to the end. And on that day there shall be inscribed on the bells of the horses, holy to the Lord. And the pots in the house of the Lord shall be as the bowls before the altar. And every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be holy to the Lord of hosts, so that all who sacrifice may come and take of them and boil the meat of the sacrifice in them. And there shall no longer be a traitor in the house of the Lord of hosts on that day. So... What we see here is everything, even the mundane, is holy. This is a holy, set-apart family of God people. Every little thing about their lives is holy. They're completely set apart from the ways of the world. They're the true purpose of mankind fulfilled, bringing the wisdom, the truth, the love of God to all creation so that he is glorified. You see that? All right. And we're ending in Psalm 145 to 147. We're, we're skipping Malachi 1. We'll, have, we'll pick up on that next time. Um, but I, I'm going to focus on Psalm 145 because I, I felt like it really went with the things we just talked about. Verse 4 says, One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Now, I know part of this conversation was before we turned the recording on, Weston. But that's God's purpose and plan is to have a family where his wisdom, love, and truth is multiplying and expanding from generation to generation, right? So that's part of, part of our work, part of our job, right? And so David sees that clearly here. 
And then we see more big picture starting in verse 10. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. So the mighty works of God uh, are giving thanks to God and his saints are blessing him, right? He's, it's all coming to fulfillment that his works, his people are all coming as one with him, right? 11, they shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. So now we see a glorious kingdom and a people within it, a family that's that's made clear to the world around them. There's no, there's, there's no confusion anymore. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. This is what he's about. This is what he's doing. This is what we give our lives to. You see that? All right, you have anything else? No, God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Too late for the listeners. But <laughs> <laughs>